This is your microaggression of the week. Uh, one time in my class when we were doing introductions the first day after I said my name, my professor complimented me on how good my English was. Little did he know I was born in the Los Angeles area. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Welcome. This is our fifth episode of Your Token PLC after a an extensive two-week break, two-week hiatus. We had to, uh, you know, take some time, take some relaxation. Party, <laughs> <laughs> really, that's the Spring break. Honestly, that's the biggest thing. But we're back, and we're so happy that you guys have joined us again. My name is Kyla, a.k.a. Cory Booker's Sandals. <laughs> And this is Canela, a.k.a. Selena Gomez's performative tweets. Oh, and this is your token POC. So yes, welcome back. We have a very special episode planned for y'all this week. Once again, we're doing this roundtable style. So um, first, we're going to introduce the topic, obviously our microaggression of the week. We're going to break it down, kind of relates to what we're going to be talking about today, which is that of assimilation. What is it like to be first gen in the United States, to be multilingual in the United States, and attempt to hold on to our languages and our cultures, especially as people of color in a white supremacist country. But first, we'd like to, you know, hand the mic over to our lovely guest joining us in the studio. Yes, yes. So. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves, please? Yes, my name is Hugo. I go by he, him, his, and I'm currently a sophomore at Tulane. And my name is Abby. I go by she, her, hers, and I'm a senior at Tulane currently. Well, well, well. Thank you guys for joining us here in this lovely studio. Yes. Um, Canelo, would you like to break down this microaggression? Absolutely. So I would hope that um, this might be obvious, but, you know, this is an educational program, mm-hmm. so let's be a little bit clear about why this is a problem. Um, my name is Canela. I understand that it sounds quote-unquote foreign to a lot of people. So oftentimes, this isn't like the first time this has happened. A lot of professors have assumed I'm an international student Mm -hmm. um, or just a student who doesn't know English very well. I think that that's an assumption that comes with accents, that comes with um, the color of my skin, because I'm sure if I was a white student, it wouldn't be the same thing. Um, And I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty common experience for those of us who do hold multiple tongues like in our head, whose English maybe isn't like our first language. Um, have any of y'all like experienced this kind of situation or just like the situation of people assuming you're not going to know as much because you're either not from the United States or your family isn't from the United States? I can definitely relate to having a Hispanic sounding name, um, having that name Hugo. Well, first of all, in Spanish, it's pronounced Hugo, but like, <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like, it sounds like someone who's just like sneezing, like Ugh. like, like what? So personally, I prefer Hugo. I don't know. I don't know why. I just do. But either way, people always have trouble with my name. Mm-hmm. I always have to repeat myself. Like, uh, hi, my name is Hugo. I was like, what you say? I'm like, Hugo. <laughs> like, I just. It's just a lot of trouble, and then people always mispronounce it. Mm-hmm. They say like Hugo or like Hugo or like. Jugo or like 
Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's cute, you know, because it's my actual friends and, like, they give me nicknames. Mm -hmm. Like, some people call me Juice because Hugo in Spanish means juice. Mm -hmm. But if it's just, like, I just, like, know you, like, I just met you, like, what you doing? Like, Mm -mm. mm -mm. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely can uh, relate to that because my name is Abby. I think it's the whitest white girl name you could have. But um, professors will, like call me a B because they don't think my name is really Abby or they'll ask um, like what's your real name um, Abby is not really an African name so you know my my parents are West African they're from Senegal so I'll get that a lot but my name is actually uh, a Senegalese name Abby it translates to beloved so yeah it's a beautiful name thank it's you super lovely with such great history I remember one of like a professor, I won't like say his name on air, but he talked about how like his name is like really long and complicated, but he like lets his students go by his first name. Mm-hmm. But his last name is like so beautiful and like means something. I don't exactly remember what it means, but when he said it, I was like, wow, like if people really took the time to actually pronounce people's names, mm-hmm. they would understand like the beauty of it mm-hmm. and how important it is to that person. But no one really cares. I feel like it's really important to start with names when we have this conversation about assimilation, right? Because that's like our first introduction to the world. Like if we can't even get our names out with before people start questioning like our identities. I don't know. Personally, that's something that's always been like a really hard battle because then it's like, what else do I have to compromise if I have to compromise like the thing I'm called, you know? It's also interesting. Um, the culture of how these names get passed on like for example i got my name because my father is named hugo Mm -hmm. like his first name and last name is also hugo fajardo so it's interesting to see that also play out i mean at first i always was like uh i don't like this name you know and and that's that's a result of assimilation you know Mm -hmm. it's it's whiteness trying to like disapprove of your name it's like oh like why don't you have your own name why can't you be yourself but it's like this is my culture like this is my parents named me that for a reason you know and now i'm like more happier than ever to keep that name mm-hmm. and i will never change it <laughs> never That's good. so let me ask this how has it been coming to tulane specifically and kind of facing I wouldn't say trying to assimilate, but have you guys ever felt like that you've had to in certain spaces or, you know, kind of? I think that was very real in my freshman year because I felt the pressure because I'm just naturally a person who, like, likes to make friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, you know, first semester of Tulane, you're just like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to meet all these new people, like, and blah, 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 all that bullshit. And then you realize that these people do not want you. <laughs> they do not want you at their parties. They do not want you in their room. They do not want you just in any space, like, you can think of on this campus. Um, at least that was based on my experience with, like, the people I surrounded myself with. And looking back, it was foolish of me to surround myself with those people but I'm happier now more than ever that I have a community that I can rely on and that loves me and then I can love back I think um, by the time that I got to college I really got over um, that assimilation thing that I was trying to do really hard in high school like I was like considering taking like 
speech lessons to get rid of my accents. But by the, by the time I got to to college, you know, I was I was really over that. And for me, um, being who I am and holding on to my culture became actually more important when I when I got to Tulane. Seeing as you know, there weren't really a lot of people like me. I didn't really see anyone who spoke like me or dressed like me or ate the same food as me and. Um, being who I am became a lot more important to me and holding on to my culture became a lot more important to me. So mm-hmm. I feel like I had a different experience. Right. I have like a few questions for y'all. Like, just in terms of how do you, how do y'all survive on campus and like try and maintain y'all's cultures like on campus? I know for me personally, as like someone whose parents are both from Peru, like I oftentimes like find myself really trying to like not lose my Spanish mm-hmm. because there aren't that many Latinxes like on campus mm-hmm. or just comparatively like compared to Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. is where I'm from, like it just there aren't that many in New Orleans, so it's mm-hmm. really difficult. Um, just being someone who like came from speaking at first, and then mm-hmm. it's like wow, like, certain words really, like, trip me up now mm-hmm. because you, you lose it over mm-hmm. time. That's what assimilation is. So I know for me, like, my biggest survival mechanism on this white campus is I'll listen to, like, reggaeton or, like, bachata when mm-hmm. I walk around school. And it's not, like, that big of a, a radical act or anything like that, but it feels like survival. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what what do y'all do. Well, I talk to you. <laughs> no, we literally, like, send each other, like, memes and, like, all of that, like, all the time. And, like, they're so funny. Um, but besides you, um, I would say uh, try to seek out, like, other people who feel that way. Because I know uh, some of my friends also feel that way. Um, they don't want to lose their Spanish. And mm-hmm. that's real, you know. Losing sight of the, your own native language is real. And... I don't know. I like to, like, I always love to watch, like, Spanish television, Spanish movies. Um, obviously, like, Latinx, like, produced just, like, in Spanish. Mm-hmm. None of that Spaniard, Spaniard, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but, um, and that's what I like to do. And, like, uh, because I'm involved in the Latinx org on campus, like, we, like, literally make, we talk in um, uh, Spanglish all the time. And I think that's a really... It's it's a good way to kind of, like, joke around. Like, you know, it's kind of... It has a sense of humor in itself, at least uh, from my experience. Uh, but at the same time, like, it's good to, like, always surround yourself by people who are kind of in the same situation as you, where it's uh, Anglo-dominated and all that. Um, for me, um, like, when I speak to my dad, he and I exclusively speak in English. And the reason why is I speak Wolof, which is my native language, but my father speaks Wolof, Wolof. Like, he speaks in African proverbs. He grew up in the village, whereas, like, I grew up, like, in the city. So, you know, when he's speaking, like, this really complex Wolof, I really, I have to ask him to, like, uh, dilute it a lot. But, you know, um, when I speak to other people, uh, back home, they're really surprised that I ha- actually haven't lost my language and I speak well very well. And that's because at home, we're not allowed to speak English. Like, the only time I speak English is with my dad, who's just, you know. And at school, um, I feel like I hold on to my culture a lot just by watching TV shows. Like, there's like a, a TV show, like a new episode that comes on every day because I watch several TV shows, so I always look forward to those. 
and that's really important for me. Um, dressing in my African clothes is also very important to me, and I because I feel like I'm holding on to like who I am and I'm holding on to my sanity, and I feel like I just feel more myself with my African clothes. Um, I always cook <laughs> um, Senegalese food. Um, Cause, you know that's what I grew up eating and then I found that when I came to college eating at the dining hall just like made me really sick because mm-hmm. ev- nothing is like fresh or like how I cook back home because we you know typically eat very healthy so you know I've started to cooking for myself and that's been really important I feel like the way that I dress um, the music that I listen to the um, media that I consume um, you know all those things I feel like really helped me retain who I am. It helps me stay grounded a lot. Um, it reminds me of, of, of who I am when it's very easy to like lose sight of who you are, um, when it might be easier to assimilate. So, you know, I just, I really try to, to just remember that this is not what I am, that I am not them and they are not me, and, and that's okay because I, there's nothing else I would rather be in the world than to be a well of woman. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. I relate to that too in the way that like I also only talk to my um, parents in Spanish, like never English. Never have I ever once talked to my parents in English actually. Um, but it's interesting to see um, the assimilation of even your own parents, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I'm also from Los Angeles, so I mean, Spanish is everywhere in Los Angeles either mm-hmm. way, but still, like, like, I remember, like, I was as young as, like, eight years old, and, like, my mom was, like, trying to find a new job, like, trying to get herself back into the workforce, and at the age of nine, I had to teach my own mom, like, how to speak English, and that's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, I enjoyed it, but, like, it's just, like, it's interesting to see how, like, it all plays out, you know, like, like you need to know English to, like, survive you should know English to, like, take care of your own family, like, to even have, like, a livable income, mm-hmm. um, especially in a city like Los Angeles, where it's, like, a bunch of, like, immigrant communities all together, um, but at the same time, like, gentrification and all those factors are going on in LA mm-hmm. right now, so mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to see what it's going to look like in the future. Yeah, honestly, and even the way that, like, even knowing English, like you have to know it, quote unquote, without an accent oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's actually something that my parents were really big on, which is mm-hmm. why they stopped speaking to me in Spanish after mm-hmm. a certain point in my education, mm-hmm. because they realized they realized that like I really didn't know much English. Mm-hmm. Like I really didn't know English well when I was five. Like I had no mastery of it, which is why my dad would actually sit with me and read the LA Times in English, like mm-hmm. being like, we have to learn it. We have to learn it, not just like reading it and even speaking it you have Mm -hmm. to know it without an accent or else they're gonna think that you're uneducated Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting how respectability politics get like you know tied up in like Mm -hmm. this kind of conversation so yeah yeah it's just sad um i'm gonna question trying to remember um do y'all have y'all had experiences where you've been confronted with people like trying to force you to speak your native language with them like oh mm-hmm. all the time yeah. <laughs> i feel like um, spanish in particular is just too romanticized you know um there's a whole stereotype of like 
the Latin lover who will serenade you with Spanish and sing you to your sleep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, like, what? Like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, Spanish is beautiful. I love Spanish, but like, to like tokenize us and fetishize us like that is just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a friend and I got into a fight last week. Actually, not like a big fight, like a mini fight, um, where they were like, "Say something." Like when I told them that, like I spoke well, they were like, "Say something." I'm like, "No, I don't want to." Like I hate that question when you tell people that like, you speak a different language, and they're like, "Say something," like putting you on the spot. And you know, she kept insisting that I that I say something in my indigenous language, and I just kept saying no because I don't want to, and I really don't want to. And her next uh, question was, "Why are you ashamed of your of your language or something?" Okay, Friend. that's that's really she's actually a wonderful person, but that's really problematic. Like. Just because I don't feel the need to speak my language right at this moment doesn't mean that I'm ashamed of it. And why is your first response going, why is your first question assuming that I'm ashamed of it? You know, like what in your head makes you think that I will be ashamed of my language? And so, you know, that just bothers me a lot. And even with the most well-intentioned people, people that you love a lot, you know, these things happen. But I don't know for other like uh, people who like hold, you know, a lot of languages, um, but I personally speak five languages and I hate when people are like, say something in this language or in that language. So usually I just don't like share what languages I speak or I just, you know, keep that to myself. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's really difficult because, you know, the fetishization of just like speaking another language mm-hmm. is really like you go, like what you were talking about. Yeah. It's like really Especially intense. my woman. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because there's also, like, an assumption that, like, I don't know, people of color don't have culture. Like, yeah. it's, like, really interesting because uh-huh. it's, like, our culture isn't valued, but then, like, it's put on, like, a microscope and mm-hmm. people realize that you know how to speak a different language. Um, there's also, like, the shame. I don't know if y'all can relate to this, maybe, but, like, the shame that you get from within the community. Yes. Which can feel even worse, in my opinion. Yes. Than the shame that you get from the white people here at Tulane. <laughs> so I kind of want to touch on that as, like, a final note. You yes. Know? So, I don't know. Have y'all had experiences where you haven't felt, like, enough? Like, yes. Let's talk about yes. it. You know? yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... You know, I went to uh, back home a few, I think two years ago, and obviously, you know, I speak uh, multiple languages, mm-hmm. so I don't sound the way I'm supposed to sound, quote unquote, in any language. And when I would speak, you know, well, people would always compliment me on how well I spoke it, but because the accent wasn't there and the rhythm that they speak it in wasn't there, um, I always got called out for that. I always got shamed for that, and. You know, that just made me feel some type of way. But at the same time, baby, you only speak one language, so... Um, I don't think you have anything to say to me, but yeah. I have a very different experience. I don't know. I feel like it's just so ingrained um, and, like, forced upon the Latinx community, at least where I grew up or, like, my neighborhood in L.A., Mm -hmm. that, like, knowing English is kind of, like, something to admire. And that's weird (laughs) you know it's weird to like glorify like losing sight of your language and like and like I mean at one point like my parents did 
actually. Um, they were like, like you needed to talk more Spanish because mm-hmm. um, at some point it was I like I was very young, like I was a little kid. But I asked just like these ignorant questions, like why don't you guys speak English too? And I think that's also a product of just like wanting to reach whiteness. You know, again, it's ingrained into our culture to accomplish that. And yeah. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. That's, like, a really interesting experience because I yeah. feel like that was definitely, like, my parents. They almost regretted it after some time. Like, I think I was, like, maybe 10 mm-hmm. or something, and they would realize, like, how much of the language I had lost, and they're like, oh, no, like, what have we done? Because there's, like, the there's the assimilation pressure, but there's also, like, I don't know, this, the melancholy and, like, mm-hmm. the sadness that comes with losing what, like, grounds you. Mm-hmm. I feel very grounded, like, mm-hmm. just knowing, like, my culture, and it feels sad to become, like, distant from it. Mm-hmm. Especially on, like, a campus like this, but just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of not feeling, like, Latinx enough or something, I don't know, whenever I go home to Peru and, like, visit my family there, it's like, why don't you speak, why do you speak Spanish with ese acento, like, that accent? Mm-hmm. It's so, like you know you sound like a white person so that's mm-hmm. como gringa like that's like a thing yeah. that like is very common mm-hmm. oh I, also at one point i also got that as <laughs> yeah. well so i can relate yeah it's a lot you know it's a yeah. lot to unpack yeah sometimes i wish that i could like speak english with like the english accent quote-unquote american accent sometimes mm-hmm. i wish i could speak french with the french accent or if i'm speak, speaking well of you know any other language that i know how to speak i wish i could like speak it with the accent but i don't have any of those individual accents so when i speak i don't sound like anything i don't really sound like i'm american i don't really sound like I'm Wolof, you know, so it's just, I don't really sound like I'm an Arab person. So it's kind of just like, I just sound like myself. You know, I sound like a multilingual person. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Like, it's really turning. I don't know if you've heard the saying, like, ni de aquí, ni de allá. That's, like, really common. It's, like, neither from here, neither from there. It's, like, the condition that a lot of Latinxes in the U.S. Mm -hmm. used to describe ourselves. But you just made it really beautiful sounding, you know? I mean, I, like, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate the beauty of... um, being able to speak different languages and being able to access different worlds. Um, But sometimes, you know, I just think about the conditions that led to me having to, like, know all those languages or the conditions where I was put in a situation where I just learned all these languages. Like, I went to a colonial school when I was in Senegal, you know, where, like, we learned French in the morning and then we learned um, Arab and Quran in the afternoon. So, like, just, like, the colonial history and, like, the the pain and suffering that... um, came that resulted from you know me having to have all these languages to navigate but yeah now that note do you have any questions uh, I don't but I really do appreciate y'all coming in like sharing your experiences with us it was like so insightful and so interesting to hear thank you it's our pleasure thank you for having us I also think it's important um, especially for Latinxes to acknowledge that Spanish is not our people's language for real it's a colonial tongue like (laughs) if I'm gonna be honest like being Salvadoran American I did not know like even the name of like the indigenous peoples that inhabited El Salvador before colonization Um, like today like I know that like the Tipil Tipil See, I don't even remember. <laughs> That's how much like we don't know about this. We're not. We don't really get informed by it. Not through our families. Not through our education. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting, you know, because like in El Salvador right now, like there aren't really that many surviving 
thriving indigenous communities, unfortunately. There are some Mayan communities still, and then there's some, like, Tipil communities still. But, you know, people... I feel like a lot of people just lose sight of the fact that, that like, this language existed before Spanish, and it is not, like, the language of the land. I don't know. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sounding repetitive, but, like, I just, like, want to emphasize. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's accurate because I feel like a lot of Latinxes will get on their high horse about knowing Spanish. Like, oftentimes, it's like, oh, you don't speak Spanish. Well, it's like... That's not, like, the language of our people either. I mean, mm-hmm. unless you're, like, a white Latinx. Then that's a whole other conversation that we can unpack. <laughs> that's for a different episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess what we can do to have us close is I'd love to hear maybe y'all's favorite thing from your culture so we can close out, like, a positive from all of us, you know? Okay. Um, my favorite thing about my culture, um, this is kind of problematic, but the women just dress so flamboyantly and colorfully and beautifully and we just Wolof women are very regal and we take a lot of pride in how we package and present ourselves to the world and I just I love that I guess like for me being like Peruvian American I'm trying to think of like my favorite thing mm. um I love like our connection to like nature like especially in Quechua tradition which is like my indigenous like affiliation within Peru, but obviously Peru is a country. It's not like a race, race and ethnicity are different things. Um, but I love how connected we are to like Mother Earth, Pachamama. Like I think it's really important and it's really beautiful and it's a thing that like a lot of colonial like powers lack is that connection to the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyla, how about you? Well, I will say, as a Black American, as an African American. Um, you know, one interesting thing, and I know we're supposed to be in it on a positive note, but I want to kind of just, like, throw this in there. I feel like a lot of people think that, like, black people in general don't have culture, which is odd. Like, culture exists, like, of course, within, like, well, across the diaspora, across the black diaspora. But, like, people for some reason don't think black Americans have culture, which is, like, a weird thing to think because, like, we are trendsetters. We set what, okay, just think about black Twitter. Think about the memes that you get, the mm-hmm. things that you think are funny. Eyebrows on fleek. Like, I can't even think of anything off the top of my head right now. But, like, if you think of most slang, most idioms, we start that as, like, a collective. Mm-hmm. So just knowing that we are basically... I mean, okay, just think about the way we present ourselves a lot of the times, too, like... I know when Kylie Jenner said, like, oh, I started, I wore wigs. Not everybody's wearing wigs. And it's like, black women have been wearing wigs since, I mean, we're talking about Missy Elliott, Lil' Kim, like, Foxy Brown, Trina. I mean, we, we put it on and we show everyone how to wear it and everyone follows. And that's what it is. That's just period on period. And so just knowing that we are that we have so much influence like over culture and yet we're kind of discredited or like seen as you know illegitimate at first it's kind of frustrating but it's also like ha y'all all coffee cats <laughs> no what did I can't remember that Nikki line but she's like all these people copying me 
forget it. Never mind. It's okay. <laughs> I can't think of the live. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. I'm convinced that Salvadorans have the best sense of humor. Like, we, I feel like just people, Salvadoran people are just not afraid to, like, say shit. <laughs> like, my mom literally sends me, like, the most, like, like, I don't know, like, the most censorable memes. I'm just like, Mom, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why are you sending me this? And then she just sends the laughing emojis, like, and a lot of it comes from, like, growing up in rural communities. Like, both my parents grew up in rural communities because El Salvador is not a highly developed nation at all. Like, it's, it is very far from that. So I think a lot of it has to do with the experiences that people there have, and it turns out to just be hilarious. <laughs> I have the line. You found the line? I found the line. Oh, okay, you gotta read it out. I feel so bad that I cannot remember this iconic verse from Nicki Minaj in Motorsport. But it's like, I don't work in no office, but they copy it, and that's facts, though. Wow. Oh, wow. That's really iconic. (laughs) Tell me who could do it better than that. No one. Hmm. I will say Cardi. Just kidding. That being said, we don't always have to compare women to each other and, you know, put them against each other. Just saying. <laughs> but true. Yeah. true, true. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, y'all. This has been Your Token, P-O-C. Yes. Please follow us on everywhere you can get um, podcasts. Mm-hmm. We're on Spotify. Subscribe to us on Spotify. If you're not on Spotify for whatever reason, we're on Anchor, we're on Stitcher, yes. we're on Apple Podcasts, we're anywhere you can get podcasts, that's where we're at. So please feel free to hit us up. Um, yeah. And follow us on like on our social medias. Like we work so hard to bring y'all valuable content, like really good content. You know, we have Facebook, Instagram. Twitter? Twitter. We have, we have a, I wouldn't say we have like good content on Twitter, but follow us on there. Follow us on Instagram. We're cute. We're cute. Yo, we're really cute. And follow our personal accounts too. And it's at K-I-L-A dot M-O-O-R-E and Canela. At C-A-N-E-L-A-L-O-P-E-Z. Y'all want to throw in your, your personal accounts? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) At Hugo, H-U-G-O, not Jugo, not Yugo. Not Ugo, Hugo. <laughs> M F A J A R D O. Um, I just started an Instagram account after being bullied into it yesterday. I don't really know what it is. I forgot at this moment, but I'll give it to Canela. So if you guys want it, yeah. Don't worry, we'll tag you. Yes. <laughs> we got you. Abby's beautiful. Yes. You guys gotta follow her. And email us your questions and your comments and concerns to your token POC at gmail.com. That's Y-O-U-R-T-O-K-E-N-T-O-C at gmail.com. Right. And that concludes the show. And remember, we see you, we hear you, we are you. Bye. 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 Ciao.